Det min sång. How did God do it? So, this is the fourth and final part of our Advent sermon series. And this fourth and final singer, he was sure about what he said, would say, when he held Jesus in his arms for the first time. When Jesus was 40 days old, he was taken to Jerusalem, the capital, and to the temple, the center of of Jewish religion and, and the Jewish life to, uh, for Mary to have her pure, to, to do her purity cleanse and for him to be uh, blessed. So this guy's named Simeon and he had been a devout believer in God his whole life. And he has been patiently waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. This was something that, that we find out in the text that he had been waiting for. God had told him, you will not die until you hold the Messiah. And not only was he longing for this time, but God's Holy Spirit had told them that he wouldn't die until he saw these promises begin to unfold on the pages of history. So Luke 2, 27 through 32 says this. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see, remember we talked about the angels bringing the news that a Savior had been born uh, last week. And now Simeon announces the truth that he is looking at God's salvation lying in his arms. He's holding this baby and he sees that this is going to be the savior of the universe. And Simeon understands that this savior has come to save not only Israel, but also the Gentiles, which is, by the way, us. Okay? It, if, if we were, were to carry on reading Luke's gospel, you will find the adult Jesus living this out. People think he's going to go for the the religious folk. He came for the religious folk and he doesn't. He hangs out with the irreligious folks. People think he's going to go for people who are doing their best. But he doesn't. He welcomes the people who have done the worst. That's because he has come to bring a light and then deal with the greatness, the, the greatest problem. Whether they are religious or irreligious. Whether they are good or bad. Jesus came for their sin. That's why he came. That's why this sermon today is going to be like, you can, I'm, I wanted a feel good sermon today because it's Christmas Eve and it's not. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, it, it's just not. Because Jesus came for our sin. We have a sin problem. 
See, as the angels promised this child would be good news of great joy for all people, there is no one who does not need Jesus to offer them salvation. And there is no one to whom he does not offer that salvation to. So this old man, Simeon, is, he's now content to die. He's held Jesus in his hands and he goes, now you can take me. Now I'm ready to come home. See, he has been waiting his whole life for this one sight. And now he has seen it. He has seen the sovereign Lord's salvation. And in the shape of this human lying in his arms. You know, he's a 40-day-old baby. This Jesus was probably crying. We, we always think, we picture Jesus being like, he would just be this perfect baby, never cried, never wanted it. Well, that's how babies talk to us anyway. So if he didn't cry, we'd have a problem because he would never get fed. But, uh, so, so Jesus was just like any regular baby, except for he was God. Okay, so he needed his mom to take care of him. So this 40-day-old 40, 40 baby is in Simeon, the little bitty baby, in Simeon's arms. But you see, Simeon doesn't only speak of salvation. Simeon speaks of suffering too. He continues to say this to Mary. I believe he's holding Jesus. And at this time, he's not looking at Joseph. He looks directly at at Mary and says this. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon looks at Mary and he says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that thoughts from, from many hearts may be revealed. See, he was hinting at what was to come. Not just announcing that this child would bring salvation, but hinting at what it would, was going to cost him to bring it. See, he was the child who would cause many to fall and others to rise. He would reveal the deep secrets and the true attitudes towards God that lies in every human heart. You see, he would be opposed verbally and one day his mother Mary's soul would be torn apart emotionally. She wasn't physically pierced, but she was emotionally pierced at what she was going to see. See, imagine taking a newborn child in your arms, then looking at his mom and saying, one day your heart will break because of this child. That is what Simeon is warning of here. He doesn't tell Mary what will happen, but he does tell Mary how it's going to feel. He tells her, tells her heart is going to break. See, so why are we talking about Easter at Christmas? Why talk about Easter at Christmas? I will tell you why. Do you know why? Christmas is watered down. So much so. So much so. Where do you think the most expensive Christmas tree in the world was in 2011? Dubai. 
90% of the people that live in Dubai are Muslim. The biggest, the most expensive Christmas tree that ever be put together. What does that say about Christmas? If a Muslim country will put up a, a Christmas tree. What does it say about Christmas? Christmas has been watered down. Enough so that a Muslim hotel that's owned by Muslims will put up a Christmas tree and decorate it. I know they weren't celebrating the birth of Christ, but we put Christmas trees up to celebrate the birth of Christ. But that's how much our faith in this world has been watered down. That's why we talk about Easter at Christmas. See, I personally think that that Mary never forgot Simeon's words. I think they were always in the back of her head. But also, I don't think she really understood them until she was standing at the cross. At the end of her child's life. See, as an adult, the one who had laid in Simeon's arms was now hung from a cruel Roman cross. And I know that this is what you expect at Easter. You want to feel good. It's Christmas sermon on Christmas Eve. But Jesus came for one reason. He came to die because we're sinners. And unless, unless we understand Easter properly, we will never grasp the heart of Christmas. See, Simeon understood this, and this is why he pointed towards Good Friday, even as he welcomed this baby that is the center of Christmas. You see, Simeon is pointing us to how God will redeem his people. So we're going to fast forward about 30 years from the beginning of Jesus' life and the beginning of, of Luke to near the end of Luke's gospel. Let us see what Mary saw, which Simeon had warned about. Two of us were, who were criminals were laid away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that was called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hung railed, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence 
of condemnation. And we indeed justify, for we are receiving, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was, not, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, certainly this man is innocent. See, it's easy to miss the strange fact that there, was, there are virtually no details here of Jesus' physical pain. And physical suffering. Luke wants us to look at this scene. But he does not want us to focus on the outward aspect. And the physical horror of it. See, Luke doesn't want us to miss the deeper emotional and spiritual aspects of what's going on here. You see, he doesn't want us to miss the very aspects that Simeon had not overlooked in his words to Jesus. Remember, you see, Luke... Wants you to feel only sympathy for Jesus as a sufferer. Because Luke wants you and me to put our faith in Jesus as a savior. He wants us to put our our trust and faith in him as our savior. He wants you and me to grasp not only what Jesus suffered, but how he saves. Luke is painting the picture and so we stand back and we look at the scene. There's three things that we should, that should stand out here. There was a dispute over his clothes. See, first we take a look at, at this, dis, this dispute over the clothes. As Jesus died, the soldiers divided up Jesus' clothes by casting lots. See, most Jewish men wore five garments. And at an execution, the soldiers were allowed to keep the condemned man's clothes. It was, it was part of the bonus, I guess. Hey, you killed the man, you could take his clothes. And, and they, would divide, they would divide them up among themselves. And this is probably what it sounded like. My paraphrase. I'm taking the sandals. Hey, you got the sandals last time. It's your turn to take the turban. I don't want the turban, but all right, I'll take it. Okay, but what are we going to do about this big one-piece undergarment? It's just this big, huge piece of of cloth. What are we going to do with this? Hey, I've got an idea. Let's throw some dice over it. See, Jesus is not going to get his clothes back. You know, you've been to the hospital... Do you know the worst thing about going to the hospital is they give you them gowns that you can't tie. They, they, why don't they make a, gar- a gown that goes around and snaps or does some, something else? Because they do not work. And I'm telling you, I walked down. The last time I went, I went for a, a scan, I'm walking there. I'm sure I'm good while I'm 
got my good underwear on because I'm walking down. Everybody can see my underwear because you can't tie it. There's no, they said, go in there and change. Who's tying the robe for you? See, and the worst thing about it is if you go to the hospital, what do they do? They take your clothes. And you just pray that you're going to get your clothes back. Because, by the way, if you don't get your clothes back, Aunt Kitty knows about not getting the clothes back. You know, because usually they put you in a gown. You don't get your clothes back, you're not going home. Okay? You're not going home. I mean, if you put your trust in, in, in Jesus, that's a good thing. It's a bad thing for your family that's left behind. But you know, when you go to the hospital, that's what you want. You just want the bag of clothes. Where did you take my bag of clothes? That's mine. Don't take it. You see, but here, Jesus is Jesus not getting his clothes back. At this point, he is left with nothing. He is reduced to nothing. You know, that's the problem is, because if you actually seen a picture of Jesus on the cross that was actually drew, drew like it was supposed to be, it would be uh, X-rated. He would have been completely naked. He would have been covered in blood. You'd have seen his whole junk, whatever you want to call it. I'm trying to keep it clean. Okay, he was naked on the cross. He had nothing left. They had took everything from him. He was reduced to nothing. See, this man's birth had been announced by angels we talked about last week. And now, he was reduced to nothing. He commanded storms. And now, he's reduced to nothing. He multiplied meals to feed thousands He restarted a dead dead girl's life. He stood up against the religious people as they were trying to fill their own desires. And he offered compassion for, for the broken. And now he was on a cross, naked and alone. The only people that was close to him were haters. Even a criminal, even a criminal condemned him to death and hanging alongside him, condemned to death, hanging alongside him, speaks against him. Just as, Jesus, as Simeon had foretold. He looks at Jesus and says, in effect, I'm not sure what the Messiah, God's great ruler, is supposed to be like. But I'm pretty certain that he shouldn't be hanging on a cross. If you really were who you claim to be, you'd save yourself. You'd get yourself off of the cross. And you'd get us off too. But you're not doing that. You're a fake. See, Jesus is plumbing into the depths. He is naked. He is vulnerable and mocked by a dying criminal. Why? So to understand why, we need to look at the second detail that stands out. There was darkness during the day. See, in the Bible, darkness during the day is a signal of God's displeasure and God's judgment. 
See, we, were, we, we, we need to go all the way back nearly to the beginning of the Bible now. You see, to see that when God rescued Israel out of Egypt during the Exodus, there was darkness. And it was that very rescue that also explains darkness. So, you see, there was two la- the last two plagues. The one was the last plague, the plague, the, the firstborn child. And by the way, that was Israelite or Egyptian, it didn't matter. Who, what place you were living in. If you lived in Egypt at the time, and you had a first, you were the firstborn child, son, or you had a firstborn son. You were going to die if you didn't do something. Whether you were Israelite or Egyptian, you had to sacrifice a lamb, smear some blood around the thing. But the plague before that was the plague of darkness. It was actually a plague to to foreshadow the next plague. There was three days of darkness that God caused for judgment to say, I'm going to judge you people. The darkness was an indication of impending judgment. See, the darkness said to everyone in Egypt that God's punishment was falling. That the punishment of death and separation from him, the punishment deserved by sinners who lived in rejection of him, was coming. But his, as darkness fell over Israel on the afternoon that Jesus was nailed to the cross, only one man breathed his last. And his name was Jesus. See, God's judgment had come and it was God in person of his son who was experiencing it. You see, on the cross, Jesus entered into a realm he'd never experienced before. Here we have God abandoned by God. Here we see God's son punished as a sinner By God the Father. Even though he had never ever sinned. Never failed to love his father. And never failed to love his neighbor. Jesus has experienced the the abandonment of God the Father. See he was experienced how? Because how is separation from God. So on the cross... Jesus was experienced what it would be like to be in hell because he was separated from his father for the first time. They're eternal. This had never happened before. And he was experienced separation. And why? Because Jesus was bearing the burden of the world's sin. He was on that cross because of you and because of me. See, Jesus was not dying as a firstborn since he had never sinned. He was dying as a lamb. He was paying the price to redeem people. He was going through hell so that he could save people from hell. 
In those agonizing hours, he was losing friendship with his father so others could gain it. See, it was what is known as the great exchange. That's what theologians call it. I love the word too because it is a great exchange. We've committed all the sin. He has lived the life and we get to exchange that. We get to exchange our lives for his by accepting him as our savior. You see, God the son took on the penalty due to sinful people like you and me. So God the father declares guilty sinners who trust Jesus as forgiven and guilt free. See, I deserve the cross. But Jesus hung on it for me. He did it for you too. My sin, your sin deserves punishment and Jesus took it for us. But how do we know what this is, what he did? How do we know he did it? Because of the third detail from Luke's scene. God committed divine vandalism in the temple. See, as Jesus died on the cross, an act of divine vandalism took place only yards from where he had once laid in Simeon's arms. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. These curtains, by the way, they were massive. There were two massive curtains in the temple, about 80 feet high. And both were huge visual reminders of the truth That there is a separation between us and God. Because we are sinful human beings and God is perfect. And there was two curtains. And we're not talking about some flimsy curtains like you've got in your house if you've got curtains. We're talking about a curtain that defines what it means to be a curtain. See, it would be impossible for even the strongest human that ever lived to tear this curtain. So who tore it? God tore it. God tore his own curtain. See, God committed vandalism in his temple. See, there was a separation between us and God. And when Jesus died... We didn't have to sacrifice anymore. We didn't have to take lambs to pay for our sin and make sacrifices for our sin anymore. Because the one final lamb had died. Jesus. See, God punished his own son. God opened the way to him so that we need not be stuck in our sin which has caused us to be separated from. You see, God has threw open the door of heaven. This is why Jesus came. This is why we celebrate Jesus' birth. Because he came to die for you and me. That's good news. That's why the Father sent his Son and why his Son went to the cross, willingly went to the cross. The cross shows me that my sin and your sin is a very real thing. And it is absolutely horrendous to God. It took the the death of God's own 
one and only son to deal with it and free us from it. See, but the cross also shows us that God is very real and amazingly loving. You see, God the Son came to die so that our sin could be dealt with. And this is why a wooden food trough led to a wooden cross. And why you will never get the heart of Christmas if you don't grasp the meaning of Easter. See, Christianity is not good advice about what we should do and not do. Nobody in here can live perfectly. We all fall short of the glory of God. See, it's good news of what Christ has done because he has paid the price and he has given you. Now, when God looks at you, if you've accepted him as your personal savior, he doesn't look at you. He looks at Christ's life and how he's lived a perfect life because he knows you can't. See, Christianity does not proclaim that you are worth saving or able to save yourself. It announces that God is mighty and he's mighty to save. He chose to save us. Jesus said it was paid in full. Does anybody like paying bills? I don't think so. I don't like paying bills. I don't like paying bills. But, but there is some sort of satisfaction if you've bought a car or you're paying for something over time when you pay that last payment. You know, there's, there's something about paying that, that last payment and then you get a letter and it says paid in full. I mean, there's something satisfying about that. that nobody if they're honest, likes paying bills. But they like it when they've bought some and they've had to pay for it over time and then they get a letter saying, hey, it's paid in full. You don't have to send us any money anymore. We all like that. See, because when it says paid in full, nobody can make you pay again, can they? Because it's paid for. It's been settled. It's over. And that's what happened when Christ died for you. But here's the proof. Three days after the event that must have pierced Mary's soul, God stamped paid unmistakably against all the sins I have committed and you've committed. All the debt I owe him is cancelled. I'm debt free. You're debt free. If you've put your trust in Christ, you are debt free. See, after all, the death of Jesus could have been merely a tragic incident, couldn't it? All these could have been coincidences. The afternoon darkness and the curtain ripped, oh, they could have been coincidence, I guess. I don't think so. But here's the reason I don't think so. Because within hours of his death, they laid him in a cold, dark, empty tomb. But three days later... God the Father left no one in doubt that he had accepted Jesus' payment for the sins that you owe. That the price to free sinners had been paid. Luke 24, 1 through 7 says, 
But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, And bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day would raise. See, Luke's gospel finishes in a very simple place to where it begun, really. Ever thought about that? See, we began with angels appearing, didn't we? And announcing the birth of Christ. And we finish in the same way. We, we begin with these angels. And then we finish. And what? Jesus has come back to life. And guess who's announcing it? Angels. It begins the same way as it ends. See, now do you know why we've got to talk about Easter at Christmas? Because it begins the way it ends. Angels announced his birth from a virgin. And then they announced his birth from death. That he defeated death. See, the, the, between the events of the first Christmas and the, the first Easter Sunday, Simeon's words had come true. Jesus had reached out to those who were outsiders and excluded. He, he had been opposed. He had revealed what people re- really believed. See, physical nails had pierced his hands as an emotional sword pierced the soul of his watching mother. And as he hung on the cross, he had redeemed his people. He died the death that tore the curtain and he paid the price that brought the salvation that Simeon had spoken of all those years before. He died on that cross because Simeon, Mary, Zechariah, the shepherds, you and me are sinners. And because he loves us, Anyway, so what do we do? We just open the gift. You see, we open the gift that was given to us. See, when we become a Christian, a Christian is someone who treats Jesus as their ruler, that is in charge of their life. Because once you admit that Christ is your Savior and your Lord, you give up your life and you serve Him, not because you have to, because you gave your life to Him, because He gave your, His life for you. And we trust Him as our Redeemer, able to bring us through death. See, it is someone who recognizes whom God was giving us at that first Christmas. And that this is the greatest gift 
of any Christmas. But it's up to us. God has offered us a sun-shaped gift. Now, this gift has to be received. We have to open the gift. Have you ever, have you ever, because I've done this as a child, my mom did this all the time. So I've got many experiences of this. Finding Christmas trees under the trees that have your name on that you didn't get at Christmas time. Uh, we, we found presents in the house months after Christmas because my mum would forget where she hid them. And they would, but you could, you could rattle the box and know what was in it. Okay? So here's the thing is, say you get something and you've got, okay, I, I golf. So if I got a box of golf balls, okay, and they were wrapped up, and I could pick up the box, I know what the shape is, I rattle it, I know it's golf balls, but I don't unwrap the, the golf balls. What good are the golf balls? They're not good at all, are they? Because they're still in the box. But this is the same as opening the gift of Christ. I actually think sometimes we just peek. We only want part of the gift. We don't want the whole gift. Because if we take the whole gift, then we have to be transformed and we have to change the way we live. Because we say we believe it. So sometimes we only want part of the gift. Because if we take the whole gift, we're going to have to change. See, the Bible says that in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin of death, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And perhaps some people have left this tree, this gift under the tree, year by year and never opened it. Or only partly opened it. Perhaps they've never noticed that it was there. Perhaps they've seen it, but ignored it. Because they know what it means to open it. You see, this gift is for you, and it's much needed. See, we need to trust God for redemption through faith in Jesus, the Son of God. That is, you and me, we have to put our full trust in Him, not part of our trust in Him. We have to follow Him 100%. I hope this Christmas... We don't leave this gift under the tree. It's got your name on it. And it's a gift from the God who created the universe for you and me. That is what Christmas is about. Christmas is not just about a baby that was born. It's not about putting up Christmas 